crumbled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of the Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm Fan. I am the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan, and, it has, and with me, as always, is my irrescable companion, uh, Rob from the Aquaman Shrine. Rob, say hello. Topo the morning to you, Shag. Awesome. Everyone loves a little topo. <laughs> Uh, well, folks, uh, we are here. This is episode number eight, and today we are going to be talking about... Aquaman number three and Firestorm number three both came out this past week, and we are going to cover them top to bottom. And then after that, we're going to do a little bit of listener feedback. So, uh, Rob, we're going to get rolling in a minute. But in the meantime, how you been, man? Good, good. Uh, you know, I'm very excited. Aquaman number three. Anytime there's a, you know, there's the new Aquaman comic to read. That's like the the center point of the week because it's it's uh, you know. It's been a long time since we had an Aquaman comic, and now we've had everyone. Uh, we've had one a month for three months. It's uh, it's. I, I'm still getting used to it. I totally feel the same. You know, on Thanksgiving, I was thinking. You know, I was saying all the things I'm thankful for, and and just slipped in there quietly. At <laughs> I, I didn't tell my family. But, you know, it's like I'm thankful there's a new Firestorm series. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for continued health and my children. Right. And, oh, and by the way, also the Fury of Firestorm and the Nuclear Men. Thank you. <laughs> I guess you don't need Absolutely. to say the whole title, because God knows the title of the book. It's a long title. It is not short. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to get rolling again in a minute, but I think it's fair to say our last episode where we covered uh, <laughs> Crisis on Earth Prime, <laughs> Rob and I have gone through the uh, massive amounts of feedback, and it has probably been our uh, most mixed bag of responses. That's a we got a lot way of, of putting it. Well, I mean, we got a lot of very positive feedback. Thank you for that. And we got a lot of constructive criticism, you know, and we appreciate that as well because we're sitting here begging for feedback and uh, we got to take the good with the bad. That's how it works. I see, I thought the subtext when we say we want feedback is we want positive feedback. I thought everybody understood that, but I guess not everybody's uh, aboard the is, – is on the train, as it were. You're not paying these guys enough to kiss our butts. No, I guess not. <laughs> uh, also, well, I Well, you know, I, got... I can see why you'd want to criticize the show because, you know, it costs so much to listen to – Oh, wait, it's free. I'm sorry. 
Well, I, I personally got called out by uh, by someone about uh, I mentioned last time I was wearing a snuggie. Um, you know, it's, it was that DC snuggie, and it was cold and all that. Well, I just have to say, uh, uh, Mister Cynical, that uh, it was in fact I, I was. It's technically a comfy throw. So I was not, by definition, wearing a Snuggie, so I still have my man card. Thank you very much. Yes, you've got the <laughs> irradiated Chinese knockoff. Exactly, exactly. And Frank was kind enough to back me up on the DG, DC pajama pants, and he wears them as well. So, uh, today in honor of not wearing any of those things, and the, a lot of positive comments we got about Dr. Fate, crazy, I'm so glad there's so many other fate fans of uh, Naboo out there. I'm sporting my Dr. Fate t-shirt, because there's not that many out no. there. <laughs> and I've got my Diet Sundrop rocking in the Firestorm tumbler. And, uh, yeah, didn't, that's it. Didn't Dr. Fate, isn't Dr. Fate's wife Inza, isn't she redhead? Or am I, is she blonde? No, she's, um, well, it kind of depends what era, but I'm pretty sure she was a, like a strawberry blonde brunette kind of thing. Oh, okay. In the, in the early days. I, I thought we maybe had another redhead for our weird <laughs> collection of hot DC redhead girls, but maybe our red our redhead league that Lee, uh, Luke's so kindly helping us with. <laughs> That'd be an awesome book. I man, we, we got two people buying it at least. So, well, um, with the preliminaries out of the way, do you want to just jump right in and get rocking on Aquaman? I do. I want to ride the wave. See, I'm going to work in all the catchphrases I can as we get going here. Um, yes, this week, uh, Aquaman number three came out, as always, by Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, and Rod Reese. Um, the, 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 you know, the, the bare-bones sort of description of the plot is, you know, as we're caught up in the middle of it, the trench are attacking Aquaman and Mira, and there's a quite a long uh, battle there and uh, after the trench Aquaman manages to fight a couple of the trench off and they run away and with their tails between their legs quite literally and so then uh, the cops say to Aquaman well who are these guys and Aquaman's like I don't know who they are and of course they're a little upset at Aquaman because isn't he, isn't he supposed to know everything that's uh, that's under the sea and he is, he is the king, he is of, the king the of the sea but he admits he doesn't know and so they kind of want to push him off to the side, and he doesn't want to do that because he believes, you know, no, wait a minute, you know, I'm the one that's capable of finding who these guys are. And the cops initially want to uh, secure the shoreline by, uh, by just firing at anything that moves, which is, you know, always a good idea. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that uh, Aquaman takes place in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. But uh, so Aquaman suggests, no, 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 you don't want to do that because some of the beings that the uh, – trench have taken with them could be still alive and they said well, where do you get that from and he shows them by opening up one of the icky uh, slimy cocoons that they left behind and inside the cocoon is a dog is uh, the dog uh, of one of the fishermen that we saw in the previous issue and the dog is still alive so uh that shows that the you know cocoons don't necessarily kill anybody um aquaman grabs the, the dead body of one of the trench him and mira take off uh, they jump into the sky as if they're Superman and, and Superman or Wonder Woman or whatever, which I love. I didn't necessarily know if I would love the idea that Aquaman and Mira can sort of fly, but they do here, and it's just very dramatic. You know, it's just cool to see them standing there and then, boom, and then they're just out of the panel. Um, That's great. It's a great shot. Yeah. So so anyway, they, they take this body uh, of this uh, dead trench guy, which is great. Aquaman's just carrying this, this, this trench 
creature who's got to weigh several hundred pounds. He's just carrying her under one arm, which is right. great. You know, that's very badass. Like, you know, that's how strong I am. So they take it to this dilapidated house, and it turn, turns out that the, the house is belongs to Dr. Stephen Shin, who is the guy pictured in Aquaman number two, who was the mysterious guy in the Aquaman family album. And this guy, uh, we, we learn, um, uh, helped young Arthur Curry develop his powers. So he's an old family friend. And, except they had a big falling out because Dr. Shin wanted to know where Atlantis was, and Aquaman refused to tell him. And I guess uh, things uh, didn't go well because uh, Dr. Shin apparently tried to kill Aquaman. And, uh, you know, that caused some problems in their relationship. So Might just a, might just a bit. Might just a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, Aquaman returns and brings this body for Shin to, to uh, uh, in- investigate, and he does, and l- learns that... Um, this thing has to eat, where is it? He says something like it has to eat 20 to 30 pounds its weight per day just to survive. Um, In- insane. Which was which was me back at the Kubert School, but that's a whole other thing. And uh, <laughs> we also learned that this little fluid that the, that the, uh, that the, the trench uh, emits does have a paralyzing effect. So, you know, suck it, nerds. I was right. Uh, I said in the previous episode... <laughs> That it looks like it emits some sort of paralysis thing. And even you, Shag, were like, no, it, I don't think it does that. And I think you even called me stupid and a moron and uh, used other harsh terms for, uh, and doubted the chastity, chastity of my mother and stuff about that, which, you know. That had, that had nothing to do with the paralysis. Oh, that's that a whole separate just thing. general discussion. So it turns out I was right. And then, of course, uh, I, as I was reading this book the first time uh, in my local comic book shop, All Things Fun, in Berlin, New Jersey, um, uh, I saw the panel, and he says, my fingertips are tingling simply from touching this fluid. It caused mild paralysis. And I was like, hey, I was right. Awesome. And I just in my in my head, I had all this stuff of like, suck it, nerds. You guys are wrong. I was right. Da, da, da. And then in the very next panel, he says, or it would. If it struck a normal human being, you didn't feel anything, did you? Alkerman goes, no. So <laughs> I was partly right that the thing does cause paralysis, but I was wrong in saying that Aquaman was sort of paral- uh, paralyzed at the end. Because he's not. It just looked like it was. In that last page, it just looked like he was sort of frozen. But, of course, you know, these are a series of still images. You would think I would get used to what comic books are at this point. Um, (laughs) So, anyway, um, Shin says that where he thinks that these creatures are from, which is the mid-Atlantic down in the trench. Aquaman and Mira say, well, all right, we're going to go follow him. Uh, Dr. Shin says, hey, before you go, where the hell is Atlantis? Aquaman refuses to tell him, takes off, and... The last two pages of the book, um, well, first of all, the penultimate page is a full-page shot of Aquaman and Mira diving into the water, which is the first shot we have of them in the water uh, in this series. And it is a simply masterful illustration. Um, I look at that illustration of them. Uh, they're upside down. You know, from our perspective, they're upside down, um, diving towards the camera. And it is, to me, already one of the great Aquaman images. Um, I feel like uh, the team here of Reese, Prado, and Reese, which sounds like a law firm, um, <laughs> is like I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and say they're they're they already deserve to be mentioned as one of the great Aquaman art teams because I think it's a little premature. But they're they're knocking at that door. Um, I mean, oh, and, yeah, and, and, I mean, 
they proved themselves very early on. I mean, our, I think it's fair to say they're some of the best Aquaman art out there. Not the best necessarily, but some of the best. I mean, you put them up there. Well, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you've, you've got some greats out there. Aparo, Cardi. Um, Freighton. What's it? Say again? Freighton. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I would also put out there. Uh, Craig Hamilton. Marty Eglund. Uh, I, we might differ on that opinion. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, yeah, um, but I mean, there's, there's some great, and uh, this stuff's phenomenal. So I, guess, I don't think, I don't think you're, you're overselling it. I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm more getting at, not so much the quality as it is the longevity. Like to me, the, the Freighton run, the Cardi run and the apparel run. And I guess if you want to argue the Eglund run, cause he was on the book a long time, like they were a substantial runs. Oh, on, I see. On the character. Okay. We don't know yet how long these guys are going to be on this book. I hope it's forever. I get you. I mean, but this could we, be their last issue. You yeah. Know, I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've been on the book three issues. I mean, it's just not – and as good as the art is, if something happened like next month where Ivan, Joe, and Rod all won the lottery, you know, and they all just said, well, screw this, work for, working for a living, and they left the book – you know, I just say, I don't know if you could then say it's one of the greatest runs of the characters because it was so brief. But if gotcha. but if they maintain this quality, and you know, like two years from now, we're we're talking about Aquaman number twenty four, and they're still doing this level of of work, which I believe they will. Um, it will be one of the great Aquaman runs, and that's saying something because this is a character who, as we just mentioned, with Nick Cardi and um, Jim Aparo and Remote Fred, and, and frankly. John Daly, who drew uh, Aquaman's Adventures in the late 40s, which I'm chronicling every week, every Sunday on um, Adventure Sundays on the Shrine. Um, you know, I feel like these guys will be of that – of they will be mentioned in, like, the great Aquaman artists. Aquaman, to me, is one of those characters who, you know, for the longest time was B-list, but yet had consistent – B? Really? All right, all right, all right. Um, oh, yeah, Firestorm's A-list. Um, so uh, – <laughs> Um, I, you know, but, but had consistently superb artists. Oh God, I'm leaving out Don Newton, uh, too. Um, you know, can, like for, for, for a character who was never known as a great seller of comic books, his mm-hmm. art teams have been unbelievably good. Um, I've always felt that way about over at Marvel, uh, Dr. Strange, like Dr. Strange mm-hmm. was never an A level Marvel character to the same you know level as Spider-Man or the Hulk. But yet he had Steve Ditko, Paul Smith, Michael Golden, Marshall Rogers. He had, you know, Frank Brunner, amazing artists drawing his stories. So I feel like Aquaman is similar to that. So anyway, um, uh, and then I, I should mention, um, uh, I got off track here, but like at the very end of the book, the last page is Aquaman and Mira heading down into the deep, dark trench. And that is, uh, the, you know, this, of course, to be continued. Um you know, I have – this was my favorite issue of the series so far. Um, it still just reads so fast. Um, I mean I read this entire issue uh, in my comic book store. <laughs> Walking um, around, right? Yeah, well, basically, yeah. I was, uh, I was talking to uh, one of my friends that, that runs the shop and uh, I was talking to her. We were in the middle of a, phone, uh, middle of a conversation. She got a phone call and I didn't want to leave because uh, I still had some other things to talk to her about. So I just started reading the comic, and before she got off the phone, I was done reading. <laughs> um, it just reads super fast, and because the book is monthly, you know, it's like this huge buildup to, you know, ooh, it's over with, you know, like, uh, um, so, you know, again, we've covered that before, I don't need to get into it again, so, 
Um, but I mean, it, I, I am loving this book. Aquaman is looks he looks great. The artwork is tremendous. He's he's heroic. He's taken a lot of uh, crap from people, making fun of him, and he just takes it sort of stoically and moves on and does his thing. Um, Jeff Johns dropped a couple of interesting little subplots here and there when uh, Aquaman visits Doctor Shin. Uh, Shin mentions something to the effect of, "You still have you still have the trident." And uh, he says, despite all the trouble it might bring. And then he says, he's going to come look for it. And mm-hmm. Aquaman says, just tell me about the creature. So obviously Aquaman has uh, taken somebody's trident. I can only assume it's Orm. Uh, it's Orm's trident, but we of course we don't, oh. we don't, we don't know that. Uh, we See, are. I was I was going with um, because he likes to bring back classic villains. So I was kind of leaning towards um, was it. Triton in the 70s who was the I think it proved to be a robot or something but um, it wasn't was it it wasn't Neptune that he fought was it well he did fight Neptune at one point he, there's been a couple different characters that I don't know I can't think of the one you're talking about that has the Triton I thought he was like the, the son of Poseidon who's was there oh, a son I forget yeah, no. But I was thinking it was one of those 70s kind of characters tied to either Poseidon or Neptune. Well, that's, could, that's what I was imagining. I mean, it could be. I mean, obviously it could be somebody completely new because as as I mentioned on the Shrine's uh, review of the – or I guess I should say recap. People seem to object to my using the word review. Um, recap of the book on Saturday, um, last, uh, Saturday the 26th. Um, I mean, we're obviously in a new universe. I mean, we're obviously self-evidently in a new universe. The name of the damn whole line is the New 52. Um, obviously, this is Aquaman and Mira are similar, pretty similar to the characters that we're familiar with, unlike, you know, say Firestorm, which is like a complete, you know, shaking of the Etch-a-Sketch. Um, right. This Aquaman and Mira are basically the same characters that we remember. But we obviously are in a new universe because Dr. Shin doesn't know where Atlantis is. Well... In the previous DC Universe, there were humans taking sightseeing tours to Atlantis. Um, right. It, I mean, there's even a cop that says everyone knows Atlantis doesn't exist. Yeah, right. I mean, so obviously this is a new universe where Atlantis is a much more mysterious place. Um, so all of – which means all of those previous Aquaman stories um, are up for grabs as to whether they are part of this character's canon or not. Obviously, Jeff Johns is free to um, – you know, you choose to use or discard uh, whatever whatever version of Aquaman's history he wants. But you know, to me, this was a subtle slash bold, if, 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 thing, if something can be both those things, um, indication that we are in a new universe because obviously Atlantis is is much more mysterious place um, than it was before. Um, so you know, Jeff Johns is dropping that little bit in. Um, the first page is a flashback with Tom Curry and young Arthur Curry. And it's a it's a beautiful page. It's uh, it looks like th- it looks like that the pencils maybe were directly painted over as opposed to adding the inks because there's a soft focus to it. And it's a very very pretty page. And it's really like a, a tour de force for uh, for colorist Rod Reese. Dude, um, that that page is my single favorite page of probably any in the whole Aquaman series so far. Yeah, it's really very beautiful, and so. It's- uh, it's gorgeous. The I'm sure you're about to get to the emotion of it, but the, the emotion of it just maybe it's because I'm a parent. I don't know, but it really gets to me. Yeah, it's very very sweet. You really do get the you know, and you 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 know, the more you see uh, the the how how well uh, these guys these these two guys the father and son loved each other and how much they got along. You know, you do feel that 
somewhat sense of loss in Aquaman, and that Aquaman doesn't, you know, he, he's he's sort of alone in the universe. I mean, he's with Mira, and that's great, but he's, you know, uh, by having all these flashbacks to his father, he's clearly, you know, at a particular point that we're finding him, he's missing his father tremendously, and so that's what I, so I think part of the reason that we have these flashbacks. Um, well, I'd say Jeff Johns also, uh, he almost always calls back to the character's family. Mm-hmm. Whenever he's writing a character, he always establishes the family very firmly, whether it be in flashbacks like this or modern day or just retelling year one, whatever. And so I think this is his effort to kind of explain why Aquaman is the way he is, you know? And, and I've got a question for you, um, since you're like, you know, a nerd and stuff. Um, at Atlanta, his mom. Did she die, or did she go back to the sea? Like that seems, in, this, in this in the Silver Age, I should say, because that the, seems to be the origin we're dealing with. In the Silver Age, she died. In the in the Silver Age, she died. She died in uh, one of those mysterious kind of like TV wife illnesses where they just sort of lay in bed and waste away to nothing, even though they still look great. Um, yeah. Because it was like in the Silver Age, like on her deathbed, that's when she revealed who where she was from. I mean, obviously, Tom Curry knew something was up because the kid could sit underwater and not drown. Um, but, but it's in their, her deathbed that she revealed, you know, Oh, by the way, I'm from Atlantis. Bye. And then she died. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they talk about going back to the sea. They, you know, I said all this history is, is, is up in the air here. This is, this is all a jumble. So. Well, I know in the, the post crisis origin and, and I don't, I don't think Peter Davidson when he started, I think it was possibly Keith Giffen that started the version where Atlanta went home. And she was in the prison camp, and, and Arthur even saw her when she was yeah. in that prison camp. Yeah. Let's not so get I just started did, on that. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Let's not get started on that. I like that origin. I didn't like that miniseries, <laughs> but I like the origin. So. See, now there's an awkward silence, so don't bring it up again. Thank you. <laughs> um, so anyway. <laughs> hey, Aqua fans, write in and say that you liked Keith Giffen's origin, the one where they revealed the orange and green were prison uniforms. And, I mean, that was good stuff, man. Yes, yes, by all means, write in. However, we'll be make it through all those two emails. Um, so, <laughs> so, anyway, um, uh, anyway, like I said, this is, I've, I've been enjoying um, this series, you know, tremendously on top of just the sheer wonderfulness of having a new Aquaman book to read. But it's great that it's such a great book. Uh, you know, I mean, I would be buying any Aquaman comic book, but it also helps that the book is really, really good. Um, it'll probably read better, you know, frankly, collected, which is, you know, I think kind of like Jeff Johns' bread and butter. Um, because, like I said, it's it's a month between issues, and they just go by so fast. But, but nevertheless, the story is interesting. Aquaman is suitably heroic. He's powerful. He's getting to do lots of new things. And as I said, the artwork is just, you know, the, the best. It is just probably the best looking new 52 book. Maybe not the best, but pretty darn close. So, uh, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm thrilled as heck with it. I just think it's a, I'm, I'm dying to see where this goes. And uh, I'm eager to see, uh, uh, um, you know, we know that there's a future, a, a um, basically a solo Mira issue coming up, uh, drawn and inked by Joe Prado, which ought to be really fun. That'll be like a great showcase for the character and for Joe. So, uh, you know, I said, every time I see some, um, you know, released cover or some upcoming issue, I just get excited. It's like, oh, man, but, you know, and uh, that's, you know, it's great. It's all I could ask for in an Aquaman comic. 
Very cool. I've got some various feedback I was going to give real quick. Um, I think uh, I got to point out one page that just has really struck me. I mean, obviously, the first page is amazing, but if you go to the fourth page, it is a page of Mara just kicking <laughs> trench butt left and right. I mean, she's blasting with hard water. It looks like she's actually, you know, uh, piercing. You know, trench with water, like weapons, and it's just, it's awesome. But the thing that jumped out at me about this page was the coloring. There's such a strong contrast between her green outfit, her red hair, and the blue water. It's its really colorful and vibrant, and this page just feels more alive to me than most of the other pages. Yeah, it's a great, yeah, her, she's, you know, they're making her really tough, a yeah. real tough customer, and it's, uh, it's uh, wonderful to see. Um... Something else I thought was interesting, when when Aquaman and the King of the Trench, which is what I choose to call him, but he, he's really just, you know, I don't know, the first of equals, whatever, the, the, the Trench boss, there we go, like the video game boss version of the Trench, you know, Aquaman and him are fighting, and it's a pretty good fight, um, I mean, they're throwing each other around and stuff, and he does that bioluminescence thing, um, there is, oh crap, I lost the bit. He, the, the, the trench, here it is, when they're fighting on the third page, he throws Aquaman and he says, my food, then food for her. I took that to be, you know, some clues as to what we might see next issue. Maybe a queen of the trench? Yeah, maybe, yeah, I saw that. I didn't quite understand that myself, but yeah, I think that's a safe, that's a safe bet. So I thought that was some nice uh, foreshadowing. So some some sort of her is going to be an issue. So maybe everything we've seen in her male trench up to this point. I don't know. Um, I did notice at first, you know, when they when they finish up, you know, and the cops are there and they're all fighting over that one trench body. I'm like, there should be tons of trench laying around. They killed a bunch of them. But then I went back and looked, and sure enough, the trench actually. You can see in one panel they're leaving with. Bodies of their own guys. Yeah, they grab their own dead body, yeah. Which yep. they totally, obviously means their food. Yep. I mean, they're going to not just eat upstairs, you know, but they're going to go downstairs and eat too. Yeah, they eat, they eat their own people. It's, 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 uh, not, it's fun all being, not fun being a trench. It's all meat. Um, <laughs> that one panel where um, there's one trench left alive, and he's going after the dog, and they just freaking execute him right there. <laughs> shot through the head. Just totally was like... Caught me by surprise. I mean, no one even flinched over it either. Like, oh yeah, okay, there you go. Kill yeah, I know. There is a lot of killing in this thing. It's, just like... <laughs> it's like, wow. Uh, I liked when he went to Shin's place. How there was the video playing about the piranhas. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of. Uh, I think it's in the, you know a subtle way of saying, hey, the trench aren't all that bad. They're just acting on instinct. They're misunderstood. Which is, you know. A fair, nice way to display it because they're, you know, they're draw. You draw your own analogies between the video on piranhas and the trench of just being acting on instinct. And then maybe it's just me, but I think um, in Shin's place where there's a, it's just kind of footage of his house. Looks like you know Doc Brown uh, from Back to the Future's house. The wrecked condition it is. In. Yeah, there's all crap in the sink and books piled up. And... But there, there's an article taped to the wall that says, "Who is Aquaman?" Yes. And it's a shot of him. So I think you need to recolor those gloves yellow. So, <laughs> just put that up on your site and do that. I'll get right. Uh, good, excellent. <clears throat> um, two last points. Um, Mara is freaking hot throughout this whole thing. So, well done, gentlemen, with the art. <laughs> um, and then if, if you notice, obviously, they're going into the trench next issue, which is issue four. And issue five is the one where we know Aquaman's in the desert. Yes. 
So that seems to indicate that this story either has to wrap up in one issue or they're going to leave us hanging, you know, like maybe that doesn't wrap up, but they finish, conclude this, you know, this arc with the trench uh, just in all in next issue. I don't know. I was, I figured that, uh, you know, somehow there will be some explanation as to why Aquaman goes from the trench to the desert. There'll be some sort of, you know, weird thing. I, I always assumed it was, uh, you know, some sort of connection to the two. I could be wrong. But, you know. You, you, you often are. Yes. But can't wait to say suck it, nerd, when next issue. <laughs> uh, that's all I had on this one, man. Just great. Just, God, the art is so amazing. That whole last, not just the splash page of them swimming underwater, but the, the whole next five vertical panels yep. of them descending deeper and deeper and deeper into the trench. Yep. And it just gets darker and darker and darker. Oh, such a great storytelling. Such great storytelling. Pretty gutsy stuff, too, when you think about how much trouble they had fighting the trench. On, oh, yeah. You know, and then they're going to, you know, like, hey, let's go where there's more of them. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, good. <laughs> let's go to their nest. Yeah, good idea. Basically. So, yeah. If I was Aquaman, I'd be like, hang on, I'm going to do a little ringy dingy. And call up the New 52 Aqualad and the New 52 Aqua Girl, and I'm going to make up a whole bunch of other New 52 Aqua folks to call, because uh, I'm going to need some help. And the Justice League, and the Doom Patrol, and Young Justice, and, you know, whoever else was available. Let, um, let's be honest. No, no one really calls the Doom Patrol. <laughs> Maybe we'll call Frankenstein Agent of Shade. Um, oh. <laughs> or, or, or OMAC, because he probably won't have much to do shortly. Um, oh, oh <laughs> poor Omac! I'm telling you, the art in that book. Is I boring. like that book. I wasn't. I'm was just saying. I just bet that Omac's the first to fall. Um, Have I told you what is like one of my absolute favorite New Fifty Two books? Yes, it's Omac. Besides, well, besides these two. Oh, well, what? The Flash. Oh, are is you, it really? Are you reading it? No. It's so good. I will. I I hate to be a Debbie Downer, which is a good time for me to inter, in, interject the wah wah sound fact behind us. Um, yeah. which I probably won't do, but, um, uh, thankfully, thankfully. yeah. Um, I have to say like, as for as much enthusiasm as was met with the new 52 with a lot of the books, I really have not kept up with almost any of them. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. When it, when it came time, when push came to shove and yeah. I, and I had to buy the second issues, I dropped a bunch. And then when it came time to buy the third issues, I dropped even more. Okay. Um, it wasn't like anything was wrong with them. I just. I don't know. I was, I, when it came to like literally shelling out the money, yeah, I just kind of went. I, I just sort of looked at it and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to drop four dollars on this, and it's gonna. I'm going to have read it in a minute and a half, and then I'll put it away, and I probably won't look at it again. And I just so I really pared down my new fifty two purchases down to basically a handful of books. Um, I, I think I bought about two dozen yeah. of, of issue two of issue ones. And then I bought like, I don't know, eight or nine of issue twos. And then I bought like four of issue number threes. So okay. yeah, it's just, uh, and I'm sure the flash is good, but flash is one of those ones. I didn't even, I didn't even start with cause I just was like, eh, you know, I had so much other stuff to read, but so you've been, well, I, you've been enjoying it. I, and I don't mean to sidetrack. I'm sorry, but I'm, we're, I think we're doing okay on time. I just had to dive into this. Yeah. Um, it's. I don't care for Barry Allen. In fact, I'm, I'm, I have a very big chip on my shoulder against Barry Allen, uh, and I'm sure Frank's going to write in a nasty letter about that. But um, I just because I came into the DC universe as Barry died, so Wally's my Flash. Anyway, uh, so and, and I've been very hesitant to, to really emotionally invest in any Barry Allen, you know, recent Flash comics. 
But man, this thing is so good. The art is great. The story is great. Every panel is great. I mean, as it from artistically, you being an artist, I think you'd go nuts for this book because hmm. the artist is also the writer. Oh, oh and like Prince, Prince, what's his name? Francis Man- Manpole or Manipole or something like that. Okay, yeah. yeah, like every issue starts with like he'll take the Flash logo and work it into the splash page. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's oh cool. man, it's so good. Anyway, so um, since we're just talking randomly about this stuff, I'll just throw out the ones I'm still reading. Um, I'm still reading Animal Man, Aquaman, Flash, Firestorm, Justice League, Justice League Dark, Teen Titans, Action Comics, Blue Beetle, Justice League International. Um, I know I'm forgetting one. For whatever reason, I'm still buying Savage Hawkman. Um, <laughs> I, I, sorry, Luke. It's it's really not doing much for me. Uh, it's probably going to get dropped soon. I, I say that every month, though. Um, anyway, so I mean that's and I, again, I know I know I'm forgetting one or two more. So I'm still enjoying the new Fifty Two. Now, I, I like you said I, in the beginning, I bought I think it was seven somewhere between seventeen and twenty of the number ones. Yeah. And clearly, I haven't continued with those, but. Um, Anyway, you know, you know, I looked at some, I don't know, you and I both posted some stuff about numbers recently, and, and some people may not know how well these things are selling. I mean, I looked at some sales figures on Firestorm specifically. Uh, Firestorm, you know, number two, if you look at the sales in October, it was something like, I don't know, uh, 39,000 copies it sold, just in hard copy. And a lot of people kind of sneered at that, because if you look at the chart of top 100 selling comics... You know, it comes in like in the, I think in the 40s or 50s. You know, it's like it's it doesn't rank all that high in the top 100. But if you step back and I, I looked at June as comparison, I comp- so I compared October to June. You looked at this firestorm selling 39,000 copies, and if you go back to June, there's only 10 DC comics that sold that many copies. Yeah, yeah. And firestorm came in right around the same place, uh, selling 39,000 October. If you go back to June. Uh, DC was selling 39,000 copies of, like, action comics mm-hmm. and, and detective comics, two of their flagship books. So a lot of, you know, some people are, are murmuring, you know, well, it's been three months since the New 52, and, and some of the naysayers are trying to say things. But I'll, I got to say, sales are incredibly strong on these books. Some are selling better than others, obviously, you know. But as a line, these things are selling incredibly well. Yeah, they're doing quite well. I mean, uh, Aquaman... Uh, has been doing tremendous. I mean, Aquaman has been one of their best-selling books, and in fact, uh, some one of the Shrine guys sent in a, 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 some charts that shows that Aquaman number two was like the seventh came in number seventeen of the top one hundred or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but in but at number eighty was Aquaman number one, <clears throat> which means people went back that didn't buy it the first time and bought number one. Bought the second printing. Bought yeah. the second printing. So it's yep. you know Aquaman. Aquaman is one of their bona fide hits. I think by any stretch of the imagination, which is you know fantastic. How many times do I ever get to say that? Firestorm did the same thing. Fire, in the month of Firestorm number two, the reprints of Firestorm number one did very well as well. Like sold another ten thousand copies or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, yeah, that's great. So you know, I think it's great. I, I'm so pleased to see the new Fifty Two is doing so well. And, um, you know, it's, it's a positive note. I, <laughs> our friends uh, were kind enough to point out uh, through a series of emails that I guess, you know, out of the four elementals that came out of Brightest Day, you know, because it kind of it was pretty obvious coming out of Brightest Day, Brightest Day the four elemental guys were going to get their own books or at least appear in books. And so, you know, Aquaman, Firestorm, Martian Manhunter, 
and Hawkman, right? You know, it seemed kind of like obvious as to give them books. Well, if you look at Aquaman, Firestorm, Stormwatch from Martian Manhunter, in case you don't know that, and Savage Hawkman, yeah, Firestorm's not, is probably the, the fourth selling out of those. <laughs> yeah, unfortunate. But they're all still selling great, which is what matters. Well, we can all look forward to eventually having the uh, Stormwatch and Water podcast. <laughs> no, jeez, thanks for that. <laughs> no, maybe it'll be Doctor Fate, the Doctor of the 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 what is it like the Helmet? Uh, the, the Helmet of Naboo. Naboo and Water podcast, or something like that. That'd be good. <laughs> so yeah, um, listen, I so yeah, it, it you know Aquaman's been great. Um, I'm great. I'm glad so many people are taking to it. And I had always said for years, the Shrine's been around for five years, been saying that since since nearly the beginning, that Aquaman would do well if given the proper presentation, you know, given the proper marketing push, given the proper, uh, I don't want to use the word respect, but I guess so, respect in terms of just the attention given and, and saying, you know what, we're going to take the elements that, that have proved to be iconic and lasting and we're going to dress them up a little and dust them off and present him for a new generation this will work and and we're proven right because it has worked people are going nuts over it so it's a it's a it's a great time to be an aquaman fan and again that's not something you get to say very much (laughs) so all right well i think that is going to wrap up our coverage of aquaman number three and we're going to take a little break here folks give you guys a chance to uh enjoy uh not hearing us and then we'll come right back with firestorm number three and listener feedback all right see you guys in a minute Batman or as cute as bleak I'm a little taller than the atom smaller than 
not mess around. Clark Kent wouldn't be the same if he didn't have his lowest lane. Green Arrow's got his black canary. Even millionaire Bruce Wayne has a thing on the side with his board Dick Grayson. But there's just one girl that I would marry. Wonder Woman. Dr. Fate in there. So this is this is all Nabu all the time apparently here at the Fire and Water podcast. Can't wait for our sideshow, the Dr. Fate podcast. Or we'll, we'll come up with a more clever name than that. Oh, it'll be awesome. We, we'll have like three listeners. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that includes us too. All right, so. <laughs> Only Fire three Sh- less than what we have now. It's great. Aw, but I'm bumped. The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Men, number three. Uh, Co-plotters, Ethan Van Skyver and Gail Simone. Writer, Gail Simone. Artist, Yildare Sonar. Colors by Steve Busolato. I continue to slaughter that last name. And Hi-Fi. Letters, Travis Lanham. Ricky Purden is the assistant editor. Rachel Gluckstern is the editor. And so on and so on. Uh, Cover by Ethan Van Skyver, by the way, worth mentioning. Uh, so, the story opens uh, focusing on the character of Zither, who we met in the last issue. She's sort of the person behind the scenes manipulating the Firestorm protocols. And we learn quite a bit about her. We find out her, uh, her name is Candace Zither. And we learn what the Firestorm protocols are, and this is kind of interesting. Um, the Firestorm protocols were created because countries around the world could no longer afford to build their defense budget. It was just, it was costing too much. And so they created the Firestorm Protocols so that each country that was a nuclear power could have a human living superweapon, sort of a mutually assured destruction using a person rather than a, you know, a physical mechanical weapon. It's an interesting idea. And America was supposed to have one, and that's where we meet this character who becomes known as Helix, who happens to be Zither's uh, former husband. It's a very tragic character. He, he's lost his mind. He accidentally murdered a whole town, including his own children. Um, Fun stuff. I know. I mean, the Firestorm likes to kick you right in the gonads, right out of the gate, is how these comics start. So uh, hold on to yourself there, folks. And uh, <laughs> I believe that's what it said on the IGN review. It did. It hold did. on to your gonads, folks. That's right. Does that get the explicit tag? I don't know. It's sort of a medical term. Yeah, anyway. no, I don't think so. 
so Zither, and, you know, and he's he's accidentally killed his children. He's destroyed this town. He's physically scarred Zither, Candace, who's going by Zither now, uh, herself. And so, I mean, it's it's very sad. And, and he's sort of simple-minded, and he wants to defend America, and all he really wants to do is have a picnic with his wife and children. So uh, <laughs> Rick Perry's America. <laughs> Zither's a very hard woman. She really is. She she gets through all this discussion, um, strips for us, which is kind of cool, and then sends um, Helix uh, on the mission of going after Ronnie and Jason. She's describing them as teenage terrorists. Then we cut to Ronnie and Jason, and they are still battling the hyenas from last issue. This is a squad of uh, te- you know um, spy, you know espionage guys who are hyped up on drugs. And Ronnie and Jason deal with them for a bit. Tanya, their uh, friend, a young lady friend, gets involved, and she gets injured very badly. And this pisses off Jason. So Jason cuts loose um, using his powers, his transmutation powers, pretty much takes out the, the, the hyena single-handedly, which makes it, begs the question, well, why didn't he do that, you know, at the beginning of the whole confrontation? But um, – and then – and Ronnie has – Jason's about to murder the woman leader of the hyenas and Ronnie kind of, there's a neat moment where Ronnie kind of talks him down. Ronnie says, you know, Hey, you're not that guy. You don't need it. You're not the kind of guy that kills Jason. And so you see Jason and Ronnie, even though they don't like each other, they're kind of figuring out they have to work together. Then they're confronted by Helix and there's a giant battle and Helix is kicking the crap out of them. And, uh, ultimately they realize that Helix is stronger than them. And so they have, they, Ronnie realizes they need to, uh, combine. They need to form the the joint entity of Fury, and at this point we think we find out that what it takes for them to join to form Fury is they have to be pissed at each other, or at least Jason. At, we're not no, don't know all the details, but at least Jason has to be pissed. Firestorm smash. Well, it's, they a lot of the fans are calling uh, Fury Hulk on fire. They do say <laughs> that. Um, so Ronnie and Jason form form Fury. Fury goes toe to toe with. Uh, Helix and Helix is still winning, and there's an interesting moment where they they acknowledge this in the last issue. Fury is being controlled by some other consciousness besides Ronnie and Jason. We don't know what it is. Jason exerts control at this point and and wants to help Fury. He says, "Let me take control." And so they have this moment where they sort of contact, and Jason appears to have taken control of Fury, and he decapitates Helix. Uh, just cuts his head right off with their flaming energy whips. And the very last page is sort of a nice teaser. Uh, Zither, is, well, cr- through through tears, is talking to Cliff Carmichael on the phone. Uh, she gives Cliff a mission of going and getting Ronnie and Jason's parents. And then the very last panel, we get a glimpse of the character from the first issue, Dr. Lauren Front for- Fortier, who appears she'll become the new Killer Frost. Yes, we and, see the icicles dripping there in the final panel. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, so that is the recap of the story. There's a lot of stuff embedded in here. I know, you've read it, right? Yes, I have. What did you think of it? Uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said, I, I have to say I don't – honestly don't know whether I'd be reading this book if we weren't doing an Aquaman Firestorm podcast. I feel like the least I could do is keep up with the, the story. Um, I appreciate the contrast. I, I know I've said this on previous episodes. I appreciate the contrast and that how much is crammed in. To an up in, into an issue. I mean, there's a page here that has 11 panels. Awesome. Um, you know, there aren't there. You know, 
I think 11 panels covers like four pages of Aquaman. So, you know, I just appreciate the density of it. Not saying either approach is better or worse than the other and not saying I necessarily want to see that replicated in Aquaman. It's just a nice contrast um, to that one book is kind of open and expansive and another one is filled to the quite literally to the to the brim with details. Um, my favorite moment, actually, um, of the of of this issue of Firestorm was the one where um, uh, I'm sorry, well, Candace, where yeah. she talks about you know what his like her husband's crazy powers have done to her and how how they've scarred her, mm-hmm. and she takes off like her blouse and she op- she takes off the like the half mat, the little phantom of the opera mask that she wears, mm-hmm. but you don't see it like everything's draped in shadow. Yeah. And for a book that is as sort of balls to the wall as this book is, uh, I sort of appreciated the subtlety of that, you know, of just like instead of showing every little grim detail of her scarring, um, it's in shadow and we don't see it. You know, it's more to, it's better, you know, left to the imagination um, that, you know, obviously what people are seeing is pretty horrible because in the next panel you see there's some other character, I forget her name, and she's got like a tissue hold up to mm-hmm. her face because obviously what she saw was pretty upsetting. Um, but I just, you know, I just, I like that quiet moment. I just think sometimes some things are better um, left to the imagination. And so far, Firestorm has not been a book that's that's been doing that. So it was kind of a nice moment to, to have in the middle of the story. You know, actually, that's a really nice uh, way to look at that. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, obviously, I've noticed that the, the, the scarring was in shadow and we didn't see it. But I didn't think about it in terms of the contrast of what we have been seeing versus what we haven't been seeing. So that's actually uh, that's really cool. I'm earning my earning my weight over here. I, I got to say that the, that whole sequence of the first four pages are my favorite pages in the book. It's, it's not to take anything away from the rest of the book, but just the character moments of learning about Helix and what he did non intentionally. You know, killing his children. I mean, there's this great bit where, you know, they show a picture of the car. It says, this was our family car, Roger. You somehow made it drive 50 miles, burned black with no engine or wheels, and our unrecognizable son and infant daughter in the back seat. I mean, it's just horrible, yeah, gut-wrenching. pretty grim stuff, yeah. But knowing that at no point was any of this malicious, he had no idea that he was emitting this radiation. You know, he was just going through the firestorm process. He lost his mind. And um, Before we get off this, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you, Shay, but I wanted to ask, and this is sort of off topic a little bit, but I'm just curious about it. Like, they mentioned that that uh, bit about, you know, like our, our, our unrecognizable son and daughter, which means, you know, they've been not only killed, but sort of like immolated into dust or whatever. Pretty, you know, obviously yeah. horrific. And, yeah. you know, like I don't have children. And so, you know, I have – we have uh, animals here that we love like our children, but, you know, it, I'm not going to – Get in the whole debate of oh it's all the same thing or whatever, but I also know people who that have children just cannot stomach reading or seeing any sort of fiction that features dead children because it's just such yeah. a horrifying. I mean, I had a friend who uh, read Sandman, you know, Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and there's a there's a story arc in there that involves a dead baby, and he read Sandman before he had a child and could read the story fine. Mm-hmm. And then he reread those trades after he had a child, and he couldn't get through that part. It, gotcha. You know, even though knowing it was coming, um, because it just it just affected him on a little like molecular level. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, you have children. Does that? I mean, when you see something like that mentioned in a book, that is, you know, admittedly, a, you know, like a kind of silly book. You know, I mean, it's very sci-fi and you know, lots of crazy stuff. Having something that serious, does that? 
does it take you out of the book at all, or, or you just can you write it out? Both. Uh, it's an absolute kick in the stomach more than it would be if before I had kids. Okay. Um, the, the idea, I mean, I dwelled on that panel where she's talking about the car, and that's probably why I picked it out to read it, because I am a parent. And that panel, you know, it didn't upset me to the point where I'm like, I can't read this. I do know people that are like that. My wife's like that. If something, you know, in fiction happens to a child, she just, she's out. She didn't want anything to do with it. Right. Um, I won't walk away from something, but it has a uh, enhanced impact on me more so than something, you know, that before I had kids. Right. So, yeah, it's it's painful to read. It hurts. It's hard to read. But I accept it as a fiction and that the point they the reason they put that in the book is to affect me. And, and I'm okay with that. So uh, it's horrible and probably why I feel so much for Zither and, and Helix here is why. Because I am a parent. And uh, it is upsetting. But I, get, I, I, I take it for what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a tool in the fiction to make me emote, and it's successful. Right. So I, I, I accepted it that. So uh, good question. And we should probably move off of page three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to get through this any time. Um, but I, th- I think that's part of the reason I like Zither so much. And Zither and Helix is just uh, just emotionally really, you know, really got to me. So um, there is a – the first time we see Ronnie, there's this gorgeous full-page splash. Actually, the, the two splash pages I want to mention is the one on page two, which is just Helix bound up in the, in, in the machinery is a really great-looking shot. He actually looks kind of like the Hulk a little bit. He sure bit. does, with the greenish coloring of the lab oh. or whatever he's in. But that's a great panel. Just really amazing job by Yield Race Noir. Wonderfully done. And then the, the shot a few pages later of Ronnie flying as he's coming down and the hyenas are holding Jason. I just That shot of Ronnie is just awesome. Just Yield Race Noir is knocking this thing out of the park, left and right. He is such a great artist. I mean, it's, it's very superhero-y. It's very dynamic. It's got a painterly feel to it still. Um, just absolutely love it. So um, another thing worth mentioning here, too, is uh, they, they've really – played up this mystery of Professor Stein. You know, longtime Firestorm fans know Professor Stein was half of the Firestorm mix, you know? And he was always like, he's actually my favorite character in the Firestorm mythos. I always has been. I just really dig the guy. And here, you know, they're giving us hints that possibly Professor Stein was a traitor. He's the one that distributed the Firestorm protocols to several people, including Ronnie and Jason, or specifically Jason. And so, you know, all, all along we're like, okay, you know, Professor Stein made Jason into Firestorm. Well, they're suggesting that he was actually selling secrets to Iran and Libya and people like that, that he was selling the Firestorm protocols to make money. Now, this information is coming from the leader of the hyena you know, espionage group, so it's very questionable information. And, um, but it's really worth – it's interesting to note. And then if, if I step away from the comic for a minute, Rachel Gluckstern, uh, the editor of the book – did an interview over comic book resources this week where she talks quite a bit about the series. And the thing she keeps going back to, she, she says, you know, don't look for Stein to appear in the book in modern day. Basically saying, you know, we'll continue to see him in flashbacks and he'll still have a presence in the book. But don't expect to see him, you know, in modern day interacting with Jason or Ronnie. And also she mentioned it several times um, – Stein, like she wants people to keep an eye on Stein in regard to the way Jason and Ronnie interact with Fury. So the reason I'm bringing this up is it makes me think, you know, they, they've sort of established twice now that Fury has a separate intelligence controlling it. Right. Uh, there's some sort of entity controlling Fury. And, and Rachel's comments here uh, on this interview make me sort of a little suspicious that 
maybe the entity controlling Fury is actually Professor Stein. Mm. Now, he's not a Hulk rage monster kind of guy. You know, it's not Stein's M.O. by any means. But maybe it's his id or his subconscious. Uh, they've done this before, actually, during the Blank Slate era of Firestorm, when it was Mikhail Arkadin and Ronnie Raymond was Firestorm, and they were not in control of the Firestorm being. That was Professor Stein's subconscious. So maybe it's something like that. A little speculation for you there. Maybe so. Uh, there's only two other things I wanted to bring up. Um, there's one sticking point that has been for me for a while now with the book, and it has to do with Ronnie and Jason's powers. Both of them, and we talked about this in issue one, and it continues here, seem to be like instant masters of their powers. You know, it's like right, they almost yeah. innately knew what they could do, and haven't. And, and, and we're seeing that here still. Yeah. You know, three issues in, and, and Jason is creating incredibly complex structures. You know, he created this mechanical-looking snake thing, um, and they did this just nightmare-inducing thing where he turned a guy's clothes into barbed wire wrapped around it, which is just, oh, God. That's horrifying to think about. But um, So they, they continue to master their powers, so much so that I, I feel like there should be a discussion of, like, how does this work? You know, or, you know, something. And it's interesting to know, it's still, you know, three issues in, and it appears that either Ronnie and Jason have different powers, or they are just using them separately. For example, Jason seems to always be creating constructs. And Ronnie is always doing some sort of physical blast, you know, or, or, or energy blast. So maybe it's just representative of their personalities. They're using the same powers differently, or they have actually different powers. We're not sure at this point. And the other thing I was going to mention was, all right, so there's, there's this moment that I thought was good where, you know, Jason, or Ronnie talks Jason down. He says, hey, man, don't, don't kill the hyena person. That's not you, man. That's not, you know, um, don't be that guy. You're not that guy. So Jason, you know, does not kill the hyena character. Okay. And then a couple pages later, Jason takes control of the Fury entity, and he totally decapitates Helix. <laughs> so I was like, okay, don't, don't kill the – oh, except now. Yeah. Now, go ahead. Do it, man. You know, so I get why they felt like they had to do that. You know, They couldn't stop Helix any other way, but um, it just kind of – it seemed a little contradictory within the same book. <laughs> I have a code against killing – well, until later. Right, until page – Fourteen, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just I, I really enjoyed the issue. I again, it's a roller coaster. It's definitely plot driven versus character driven, and that's fine because it does take more than you know five minutes to read this book. There's a lot of dense content going on, and if you really stop and look at each little scene, there's a lot to take in. There really is. Uh, the art is phenomenal. Uh, again, Yildiz Sinar is just is gorgeous. You know, the, I love the battle with. Helix. I didn't know what I th- what to think about the character, and when I first saw him, I was like, "What? A big roid monster?" But it works. The battle with uh, Fury is just super cool. And combined with the colors, you really do get the feeling of like immense heat. Like it feels yeah. like it's hot. Everything, like everything that's going on in Firestorm, is humid and sort of sticky and uncomfortable. You really do get that feeling between the uh, between his art and the, and the and the coloring. And that's a nice kind of thing. It's a nice, uh, you know. Kind of read to get from it as you're sort of turning the pages. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I'm sorry. I lied. I, I did say this was going to wrap it up. I was actually going to um, bring in some comments from some other um, Firestorm fans that uh, some thoughts that they shared that I thought were really good. Uh, Robert Gross actually pointed out, and I didn't even pick up on this, that Zither's assistant. You mentioned that lady who was crying. Right. Her name is Felicity. 
And there is a character long embedded in Firestorm history named Felicity, uh, who was Ed Raymond, so Ronnie's dad, Ed Raymond's second wife. And she actually, um, Felicity Smoke, she actually sued Firestorm. I mean, there's a big deal. She actually found out that Ronnie was Firestorm and all this stuff. It was, it was a big character in the series. And here is a character who shares the same first name. So you got to wonder, is this a nod to Felicity Smoke? Could this be Ed Raymond's, you know, paramour at some point? Because we do know Ed Raymond left Ronnie's mother and went off and got remarried. You know, could this be his wife? If that's so, then is Ed Raymond tied in with the... Firestorm Protocol somehow, hmm. which could be interesting. And uh, Robert went on to express that he believes that the entity controlling uh, Fury is Ed Raymond, Ronnie's dad, which is interesting. Uh, he gives out, and you can see all that on the, I believe it's the Firestorm fan is where he put that. But you can see his reasons for why he thinks Ed Raymond could be uh, the Fury entity. And then uh, Brandon Blanks over on the message boards said something I thought was really insightful. Uh, he mentioned Tanya is, is the new Jenna. Jenna was the character in uh, who was Firestorm for a while, Jason's girlfriend, and then she was murdered during Blackest Night. You might remember that, where Deathstorm you know, turned her to salt and stuff. V- vaguely. Okay. It was during Blackest Night. It was a big to-do. Um, There's a lot of death in Blackest Night. <laughs> yeah. They, they murdered half of Firestorm and, and, and made Jason an accomplice in her murder. And made, you know, Ronnie an accomplice, too, to some extent. It was just, it was, oh, it was bad. Anyway, um, they pointed out that Tanya's the new Jenna, basically. And I didn't think much of it um, until they started talking through the points of it. You know, it makes perfect sense because Jenna was Jason's girlfriend, you know, and she was Asian. And here you have an Asian girl who Jason's in love with named Tanya. Uh, and, and they pointed out that maybe Jenna uh, will actually be her metahuman name because she does seem to have some powers. So maybe that would actually be a metahuman name she would take. Because uh, the biblical definition of Jenna is something. Don't oh gosh, embarrassing myself here. I don't remember, but I read. I looked it up at one point, and there there is there's a good reason for having that name. So um, that would be interesting if she turns out to be that that new character. Anyway, it would make sense. I mean, I said. I mean, if you're gonna go, you know, I mean, what with all the things you could name it, you know, you could name somebody. It would seem like it would make sense that, that you're gonna tie it in. I mean, why not? By the way, uh, all right, one last thing. Did you notice, uh, and, and Robert's the one who pointed this out, that... Uh, Shag, do you not know what the word last means? I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't know that word. Give me a thesaurus. That uh, Helix talks in, like, right-wing bumper stickers. <laughs> God bless the USA. A hero's welcome. Soldier's homecoming. You know, uh, See, what's funny about that is I think one of the Firestorm writers is writing those ironically, and one of them isn't. Yeah, it could be. These colors don't, li- don't run. Love it or leave it. I mean, it's just great. <laughs> so it's hilarious. So it's just embedded in the story, this crazy guy spouting out, you know, Fox News-type propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. How dare you say that? Right. Exactly. We're going to get letters on that. <laughs> so anyway, gorgeous comic, well-scripted, very Hand-scrolled, written in crayon letters. What would you say? Hand-scrolled, written in crayon oh. letters. Well, I'm talking about the comic now. The comic's great. Absolutely love it. Uh, really enjoying it. And uh, dying for number four. I think number four. It's either number four or number five when uh, Yield Race Snart's actually going to have a full-time inker. Oh, interesting. Uh, Norm Rapmund, I think is how you say it. I don't really know if I'm saying that right. Um, he's been around forever. He's a great inker. He's done a bunch of stuff. He's doing Titans right now, I think. Uh, he's going to be Yield Ray's inker on Firestorm. And uh, both of them are really excited about it, so I can't see, can't wait to see what that looks like. Hmm. 
All right. Uh, we're going to move on now to everybody's fan favorite <laughs> segment. Listener feedback! Yeah, I'm editing that out. Aww. <laughs> That's not fair. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, start off. Uh, thank you, everybody. In, in its place, uh, in that little moment, uh, is going to be uh, Barry White singing again. <laughs> that was awesome. Which God, is, I, if I do say so myself, my single favorite moment of Fire and Water so far. Barry White came over the back of uh, that power. It was the way you said it. The way you almost, the way you sort of very, <laughs> by, very uh, on purpose, sort of like said, "We're now going to do a dramatic reading," and then it just <laughs> seemed so perfect to drop in that music. As I was listening back to you talk, um, yeah. which is hard for me to focus on, I was, I was like. I was like, oh, my God, this is the perfect thing. So I just went right to iTunes and bought it. <laughs> that was awesome. Absolutely perfect. In fact, uh, our uh, buddy Baker on the uh, DC Comics message board said he, he thinks uh, – by the way, I got some comments on which people like the Barry White. But um, he, he, buddy Baker said that he thinks now we need a Mr. Terrific Firestorm crossover in order so they can hash it out for this Power Girl thing. <laughs> Because they're both uh, macking on her if you look at it that way. So, Mr. Terrific? Yeah, if you look at the Mr. Terrific monthly book, Power Girl is a reoccurring character. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. And, uh, nice job, I mean, Mr. Terrific. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, who, who wouldn't want it's some not of just that? his superhero name. That's right. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, as always, folks, thanks so much for your comments on the blogs, your emails, stuff on Twitter, the message boards. This is great. I mean, the, the amount of feedback you guys gave us is phenomenal. It's always appreciated. As I said, we got a lot of um, – we got some strong criticism this time, and that's okay. That is okay. You know, uh, it's constructive. It helped us, and hopefully maybe uh, those of you who had those comments heard it a little more tighter, a little more organized this time. So I always want to give a shout-out to uh, one of my favorite listeners, Frank. I always love Frank's comments. Frank gave us, no crap, 30 bullet points on this last episode. <laughs> I love that. Um, it took me longer to read Frank's email than it did Aquaman number three. Right. <laughs> and it's so true. Uh, a couple of things I want to point out. I love what Frank said. He drew an analogy here because we were talking about um, on the last podcast, those – uh, Justice League issues had George Perez covers, but Don Heck interiors. And uh, Frank likened that to saying, hey, kids, you want some bubblegum? Curry-flavored bubblegum? <laughs> Curry? I wonder if that's a if that was a pun. No. Oh, well, knowing Frank, it probably was. But just, you know, the, you know like, hey, here's something great. Oh, wait, not exactly. <laughs> I, I guess I, I should be in the – I don't know why I feel like I need to do this. I feel like I should defend Mr. Heck, the late Mr. Heck. I should say – I think Don Heck is, was a great comic book artist, but superheroes were not his strong suit. And unfortunately, because of the way the market of comics worked in the 60s and 70s, more and more, you know, comics that weren't superheroes just fell by the wayside. So you had guys like him – and like John Severin and George Tuska, who were superb artists, kept getting kind of thrown onto books. Although John Severin managed to sort of escape that fate a little bit. But, um, you know, a lot of guys that weren't superhero guys got thrown onto superhero books that maybe they weren't great for. You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that they weren't great artists. It just means they just didn't have a facility at superheroes the way somebody like George Perez, who was obviously one of the best guys that ever did it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still like Heck on those issues. It's just, you're right, but it's just 
wrapping it around a George Press cover. That's just that's oh, it's just, brutal. That's, yeah, oh, that's it's, just cheating. It's so. you know putting Alex Ross on the cover of your book. You're like, oh man, thanks. You know, whoever's yeah, drawing uh, the insides, you're like, oh great. I'm just going to put it out there. Could we not mention George Tuska on our podcast ever again? So, what do you have against George Tuska? We'll talk about it another day. Oh, uh, he's, he's not my he's not my play. Not not my thing. Oh my so. god! I thought he like killed your I know, parents. I know. I know. Well, your, you know, I'm irredeemable. What? What did he kill your parents in an alley or something? Like, this is kind of extreme. I'm, I'm irredeemable. I can say what I want. Okay. Um, it's right there in the name. Anyway, so uh, Frank also pointed out that we have found Rob's nuclear. And it yeah. is the word stasis. I actually know how to pronounce it. I don't know why I said stasis, but I, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I can't defend myself on that. And you, you, and you should. Um, hey, I'll let you read one in a second. I, I do want to give a quick thanks oh, to the thanks. folks who gave us shoutouts uh, on Twitter. Thank you, uh, Lee Novak, Keith G. Baker, Johnny, who goes by Quest for Comics, uh, Higher Rock, Jason, who goes by. Dr. Nevermore, uh, Tommy from the Bat Blog, uh, Amazing, I think it's Amazing Bass, not Amazing Bass, I think it's Amazing Bass, uh, Professor Allen, Allen Middleton, and Moldwick. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, as always, the, the, the Twitter shout-outs, um, I just absolutely appreciate those. It helps spread the word. I mean, it's a very powerful social media tool, and lets more people know about this great show. <laughs> like, wow. Great show. Wow, a little egocentric with it. <laughs> Then, during the last episode, we gave listed out some of our favorite JLA-related blogs, and I, we had a really good time doing that. It was an insanely long list. Thank you guys for, for, for sticking through it. But <laughs> You're you know, assuming they did. That's true. We did receive some reciprocal shout-outs, which I thought was really cool. I, had no, I didn't expect that at all. But uh, the gentleman over there who runs the Elongated Man blog gave us a shout-out. Uh, he appreciated Rob making fun of his URL. And uh, he actually, I recommend you guys go out there and read it. It's on the Ralph Did Me, uh, the world's famous elongated man blogspot.com. It's, uh, there is, is, he does this script of elongated man being invited to join the Justice League. It is a riot. Go, go check it out. Uh, also, thank you to Tommy at the Bat Blog. Really nice shout out. Very kind, very kind. Uh, same with Boosterific. Walter was very generous by giving us a shout-out there. And Aaron, who has 15 blogs and apparently 86 children uh, over at Trick Arrows, the Green Arrow blog. So thank you, guys. We really appreciate that. Um, actually, we got an email from uh, uh, the composer of our wonderful closing theme, uh, Daniel, quote-unquote, cynical, Adams. And he wrote down a, a couple of uh, nice uh, comments. Oh, by the way, I should mention... His band, the Bad Man Majamas, also now has a Facebook page. They weren't just on uh, MySpace. Now they're on Facebook. So you can go find them at Facebook.com, the Bad Man Majamas. And they are actually working on something else for us, uh, which we will get get into uh, later on uh, at some point. Uh, But thank you, Dan. But anyway, he sent in – he took uh, Shag to task for his Snuggie, which I appreciate. And um, (laughs) It's a comfy throw. It's a comfy throw. And uh, he also wrote – he seconded my thing saying an Aquaman versus Merman from the Masters of the Universe would be a dream come true. I would love to read that. And I think I mentioned it was um, former Aquaman scribe and former Masters of the Universe scribe and friend of the Shrine and friend to me, Paul Kupperberg, wrote to me and said that he would love to write that comic, an Aquaman versus Merman. <laughs> so watch how I cleverly tie this into a plug, Shag. Um if if all of you out there would uh, financially support 
Ace Kilroy, my uh, daily online comic strip, found at www.acekilroy.com and also on Kickstarter, and you make me wealthy, I can then take some of that money and pay Paul Kupperberg to write a custom-made Aquaman vs. Merman comic, which then we'll put up on the shrine for everybody to enjoy. So, you know, you see how that goes. So, you know, piece it together. Awesome. Yes. And even if we don't get that comic, you should support Ace Kilroy because it's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, what else? I, one thing I wanted to – there was a couple of things I wanted to mention just before we go to golf. That's about uh, Frank's email because there's so much of it. Um, <laughs> I love that he wrote, Rob doesn't get to demean the Justice League Detroit and defend Batman and the Outsiders. You know that Outsiders blog? No, you do not. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, I still love Batman and the Outsiders, so I guess we could argue who – is a bigger loser team, the Justice League Detroit or Batman and the Outsiders. But, you know, I do appreciate I still love Batman and the Outsiders, no matter what. I understand. Go ahead. I understand they're kind of a, you know, they don't look as great in 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 in, in the rearview mirror, but I still love them. <laughs> you know, considering how many years there have been Batman and the Outsiders or Outsiders titles, I'm actually kind of surprised there's no blogs for it. So oh, Give me a minute. Somebody get on that. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you, you, about uh, Frank again. All his his comments. Him and Luke Jackanetti. Jackanetti. They actually um, they go back and forth quite a bit over on the Firestorm fan site, and, and had some good banter going back and forth between them on the, about this last episode. So that was good. Enjoy that. Another comment on the site was from Patrick. Um, Patrick is has written in before. I'll, I'll just read it. Another great show. It's cool that, as with the New 52, I started out at the beginning of your podcast, so I feel like I'm a bit of a founding member, albeit a passive, non-contributing one. That's not necessarily true, Patrick, um, as this next bit will prove. I think it's so cool that you took my initial suggestion of the of the past event history lesson and it really ran with it. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, the rest of you. You're welcome, Patrick, for taking your idea, which got us a lot of negative feedback. No, uh, actually, it had nothing to do with your idea. It had to do with our delivery. So um, I also got a lot of positive feedback. Like I said, mixed results. Anyway, um, thank you, Patrick, for writing in. And, I, you know, I really like that the fact that we've got someone who's listening to our show and who's just starting in the New 52. So he brings that really fresh perspective. So, Patrick, keep writing in. Share your thoughts on the episodes. Uh, share your thoughts on the comics. Let us know what you think of Aquaman and Firestorm. So we'd love to... Uh, talk about that some more then i wanted to talk a little bit about <laughs> something that that rob and i failed to do in the last episode rob and i really dropped the ball folks and uh we got taken a task by robert gross also known as martin stein r.i.p over at the dc comics message board and uh just wanted to see if anyone no i'm sorry whoops i'm first from 816 took us to task on this i'm sorry that we did not mention Slipknot in the last episode. Slipknot. There it is. There, done. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Firestorm 816 is also our good buddy, Lee Novak. But he mentioned, he said, I was listening at work, and, which is another listener who listens to their, at their office. That's fantastic. I was listening at work, and it was really busy, so I may have missed it, but was there a Slipknot reference this time? I didn't hear one. And without Rob's constant Slipknot promotion, I'm afraid I won't be able to sell these 5,000 Slipknot for Life fan club t-shirts. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, it's amazing that he only he amazing he had to buy them in five grosses of five thousand. That seems a little ridiculous. Well, you know. So <laughs> and where Martin Stein, uh, Robert Gross comes in. Sorry, I got myself a little mixed up. He comes in by saying he wrote later. How did Slipknot become the poster boy for stupid Firestorm villains? You can't say that his main ability was rope. It was organic rope. 
Robert, you just proved my point. <laughs> anyway, in Firestore's The Slipknot villain that comes from Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it was for candy Hey, from. man, this is organic. I may be a supervillain, but at least I'm not poisoning the earth. It's right, man. That's not tedious uh, at all. It was organic rope, and Firestorm's powers can't affect anything organic. It's sort of like <laughs> Silver and Green Lantern can't come up against Yellow Rope. The I only supervillain that drives a Prius to his, <laughs> to his bank robberies. That's right. Uh, and he actually makes a fair point here. He says, come on, let's hear for Slipknot. He's by far away not the single dumbest villain in Firestorm's long and story history. That dubious distinction, by the way, goes to Bazooka Joan. <laughs> yes, that's what she's called. I kid you not. <laughs> I love those uh, those comics that came with the gum, the Bazooka Joan comics. Those were great. Yeah. I had to go back and look up Bazooka Joan. And I'm like, what? What is this nonsense? And then I read it. I'm like, oh, crap. I totally forgot about her. She was a really minor character in Fury of Firestorm number 29. And yeah, I, I got to say, she, she's got more firepower, though, than Slipknot. So, I mean, while her name is absolutely ridiculous and so is her eye patch look, uh, I think Slipknot still got her in the uselessness category. <laughs> One of the few copyrighted characters DC has decided to let expire in copyrights every year. Joe? Yeah, every every so often the uh, the uh, you know the gov- U.S. government comes in to renew their their trademarks, and they're like, "Nah, we'll let that one pass. It's not worth the five bucks filing form or whatever it is." <laughs> One more, uh, one more Slipknot reference here, folks. Uh, over again on the DC Comics message board, our buddy Buddy Baker came yeah. in and said. Uh, he wrote back about Slipknot. He says, I think the dog team guy that lost his arm in issue number two is DC, DC News Slipknot, which is great because <laughs> the guy totally got his arm sheared right off. We talked about it last, you know, in, um, in our number two coverage. And, yes, yeah, Slipknot lost his arm in Suicide Squad, so that works pretty well. <laughs> you know, Shag, you and I together may be starting a Slipknot, like, groundswell in the, right. new, in the new 52. And, you know, it said after OMAC is canceled, they're going to need another book. Because you can't have the new fifty one, you got to keep it the new fifty two. So, well, one of our one of our writers came up with, uh, or listeners came up with, a wrote up a bunch of Slipknot possible titles, all based on famous knots. That's so right. you know, use any of those. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's funny because you're right. We've got both sides. We've got people who are making fun of Slipknot with us, and they've got people defending him. So there's a uh, there's some there's some motion going here, folks. What what's your thoughts on Slipknot, folks? Let us know. It's a new and series Rob- coming out, Sheepshank, written by Jeff Johns. <laughs> Rob, if they want to email us about Slipknot, what's that email address? Uh, well, I say don't bother to write emails about Slipknot. But if you want to write emails about any other topic, you can send them to – see, now would be a good time to give out the wrong email address for the Slipknot ones. No, uh, no. I'm going to hear this stuff. Quit sabotaging our podcast. There we go. I'm sorry. All right. So it's firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. So, yes, please send us all your bizarre Slipknot ideas. <sighs> Such a downer. Such a downer, this guy, I tell you. Um, well, let's see. Uh, that covers about everything. So let's talk about where people can find us. Uh, where can they find Aquaman Shrine? Uh, they, as always, Aquaman sh- at www.aquamanshrine.com, and we're on Facebook and Twitter and maybe even Google Plus eventually. Uh, I don't know. Every time I go over there, there's cobwebs all over the pages, so I have to kind of dust <laughs> and, and start it out. But I may start that up. We'll have to see. Um, our buddy Kelson uh, just launched Speed Force over Google Plus. Good for him. Good for him. I said I may. I have to. I have to think about it. I, I've, I've been sort of dabbling in it here and there because you know I don't spend enough time on the computer. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes, you can find it on on uh, on the, the web and Twitter and Facebook and uh, the, you know all this other stuff. So uh, you know, come by and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the Aquamanness of it all. 
And um, be sure to like those pages too. If you're on Facebook, you know, do the, click the little like button, folks. That helps them out. Yes. Um, Firestorm fan is uh, firestormfan.com, and as just like Aquaman Shrine, we've got a Facebook page. We've got a um, Twitter account. Uh, we're posting all the Firestorm news we can. Definitely check out the check out the Twitter accounts of both Aquaman Shrine and Firestorm fan. You'll find a lot more stuff there than you just do on the pages. Yeah. Uh, especially the Aquaman one, man. There, Joe is a monster. He on sure those. is. He's great. So the Twitter accounts are definitely worth checking out. Uh, I do pop over to the DC Comics message board, as we've talked about here, quite a bit, so it's fun. To, I do to not, even there. though I try. You should. Uh, actually, you know, it's uh, also worth mentioning right now, and this is a good opportunity for, for readers of the book who want to ask questions, Ethan Van Skyver has started a thread himself over at the DC Comics message board where he specifically is answering questions. And uh, we've gotten some good answers, some good questions over there. So check that out over at DC Comics message boards. Um, I think the thread is called Ethan Answers Your Questions or something like that. And uh, jump in. Get, be part of the action. And uh, you know what, folks? If you, if you want, feel free to give a shout-out through your social media about this show or Ace Kilroy or anything and uh, spread the word. It's always appreciated. Absolutely. Uh, so I said we will what, – what are we going to be doing on the next episode, Jack? Have we decided that yet? I think we're probably going to talk about um, Firestorm and Aquaman. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think that's I think that's my plan. Okay, right now. good enough. Yeah, is that good? That works <laughs> yeah, for you. That works okay, for me. Cool. Uh, oh, iTunes, check us out on iTunes, folks. Yes, please leave please leave us a, a review on iTunes. We, we definitely appreciate that. Every review helps bubble us up to the top of uh, of the search fields for when people do searches for Firestorm podcasts. So it helps. There's so many to compete with. Yes. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Say goodnight, Rob. Good night, Rob. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Near an Atlantean power station, Aqualad takes time out for play with him, his sea pony, and Tusky, his pet walrus.